Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Metal Mike, and in this episode of the 80s Glam Metal Cast, I talk to a monster behind the kit, Dwayne Miller from Kiel. We hear about the bands that he plays with today, and we hear all about Kiel's classic albums and tours. I'll post the links of Dwayne's work in the description. Check it out. Dwayne, welcome to the 80s Glam Metal Cast. How you doing, brother? Doing great, man. Thank you. Woo, great to be here. <laughs> awesome. Glad to be talking with you. So it sounds like yeah. you're able to start doing gigs again, right? Are you doing some gigs? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. In fact, um, I got some gigs. I don't know if you know all the stuff I'm doing. I'm doing a uh, Boston tribute band called Don't Look Back. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and uh, we got we have a gig up in the Pala Casino, which is near San Diego. Uh, it's on the 14th of May. Which, that's kind of cool. Um Played there about six months ago to like a half crowd. Okay. Which was cool too. So it's kind of building back up again. And then uh, and I got Deirdre, the Deirdre band. I should probably tell you all the stuff I'm doing. I don't know. Yeah, but go right way, through it. Lots of gigs coming up, one thing at a time. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you play with a bad company uh, tribute too, right? Bad company tribute? I do a bad company tribute. Yeah, we just played a few weeks ago. Yeah. So, and that's kind of nice, man. It's just, you know, picking up. Haven't played a lot. Over, uh, no one has over the last year or so, right? Here and there. But yeah, they're uh, opened up. There was like no masks. You know, you could wear masks if you want to, but the bar was fairly full. Remember how it used to be? <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's nice. And then uh, that kind of tribute, doing that Boston tribute. I probably do too many tributes, but I'm also a Doobie Brothers tribute. Basically, it's all the same guys. Oh. So there's never any conflicts. Yeah, that makes it in easy. Fact, in fact, it's kind of funny. We actually did a combination gig one time. We did a Doobies and then the, and then the Boston tribute. So we opened up for ourselves. <laughs> came out as doobies, played a whole show, went backstage, changed costumes, you know, and some guys changed the stage around because they had a different plot. Came out as Boston, <laughs> played a whole show as Boston. Kind of double dip there, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's got to be good for the classic rock fans because I'm, I'm sure most people like both bands, so. Yeah, yeah, that was a pretty good show. I mean, as far as that goes, everybody was happy. Do some more of that, hopefully, in the future. Who knows? You do an original project, too, Deidre. Tell everybody about that. Deirdre is an awesome singer um songwriter she looks really good she's a heavy rocker she writes songs with her uh, she got these songwriting brothers guys that she works with heavy kind of heavy some slightly progressive progressive kind of like hailstorm it's like hailstorm mm-hmm. evidence type stuff heavy and screaming and, and she's got some attitude and stuff and it's really nice it's really good man i like i like playing it i have a lot of fun and great musicianship players are all top notch you guys are working on original <laughs> material with that group yeah yeah, it's all original. In fact, um, we've got one album out. We're working on the second one. We probably have about four songs to go. We have the second album. Uh, the first song, was, first album was called Love Come to Life by Deirdre. She's got a website, Reverb Nation. Deirdre is what it's called. And uh, D-I-E-R-D-R-E. Yeah, the second album, we're still working on it. It's not complete yet. We do one single at a time. It's kind of cool. In the old days, uh, we used to just go pre-production for like a month mm-hmm. and have every song ready. Go in and lay like 12 drum tracks and then put the bass and guitar. You know, now with Deirdre, we just do one song at a time. We'll put the drums down, and then, you know, work about a month at a time in each song, which is kind of different, but when the album's done, the album's done, it sounds great. I think I kind of like that. I kind of like that doing one song at a time, you know, for the vibe of the song, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. It's kind of like the way it was, like, back in the 60s. Yeah, or even 
you know, like if you ever studied on Zeppelin, they would Zeppelin would like come back off a tour, right in the middle of a tour. They'd come back to the studio, record one song, you know, and go back on tour again and come back and do like another song. It wasn't like doing 12 songs in, you know, three days. <laughs> Which I've done with Keel, right? <laughs> I kind of the first Keel record I did. We were so rehearsed. I went in there and did all the drum tracks. And uh, well, in one day, okay, we worked with Gene Simmons, right? Right. We had a small room and a big room. This place, um, Village Recorders, done it, L.A. I did the whole album on the first day um, in the small room, and the next day I came up and did the whole album in the big room. So we had different drum sounds. So I did like the whole album twice in two days. Drum tracks. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of good, but. They expected it for rest for the rest of time from me, so <laughs> I had all this pressure. The next album I did in two days, had to right. I, that's, you know, I set that up for myself. Well, well you brought bring up an interesting point. Did they mix the two drum tracks together that you did each day into one track, or did they use the best of each day? How did they do it? No, no. Actually, what they wound up doing was taking the like the small room with kind of tighter sound. They just took the faster songs to kind of keep it like in the small room. Okay. And the bigger ones, like here today, gone tomorrow. <laughs> Big room. It was like a big basketball court upstairs in the studio. We just had mics everywhere. It was like a big sound. So all the slower songs wound up in a big room, mm-hmm. and all the faster songs wound up on this tight room. So it kind of worked. Kind of worked. I don't think they mixed anything together. I have to ask Gene Simmons about that one. <laughs> oh, I'd love to, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Good question. Though. What uh, what was it like working with him? What did you think of him as a producer? I was probably starstruck at first. Sure. I'm like, wow, I'm working with Gene Simmons, man. You know. But then it turned out we just he'd come to rehearsal and talk and we talk about stuff and he turned out being a regular person. I heard stories. I heard stories that I can't repeat. Right. I heard stories. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, it's Gene, right? So it was a lot of fun. We recorded. We were so well rehearsed. I wasn't worried about nothing. We came in there and recorded, and then uh, that was a lot of a fun experience because we did the drum tracks in California and then the bass and then the guitars. Some of the guitars were done in New York, Electric Ladyland. Okay. And then we went down, they flew us all down because we all did background vocals. They flew us all to New York for vocals. So we got to experience New York City, Electric Ladyland, Gene Simmons, blah, blah, blah. Wow. I was pretty much out of my mind because I was just star- starstruck. But more than that, you know, I was like, is this normal now? Is this the new normal? <laughs> That's some cool stuff. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, because when we were in the studio, I met like Rick Derringer. I didn't really know it. I was talking to Rick Derringer. After he walked away, I was like, man, that was Rick Derringer. I'm like, no, it wasn't. But, uh, you know, that kind of, just stuff like that, you know. Meeting stars became normal, you know. So, <laughs> so it's funny. It started with Gene. A lot of people. I mean, a lot of Keel fans know this, but maybe the average metal fan doesn't know it, that you didn't really play on the first Keel album, or not the first one, but Right to Rock. Uh, that was Steve Riley. Yeah, and then, then you came in for the tour. Yeah. So, so they worked with Gene, obviously, on Right to Rock. So this was your first time actually meeting him. My first Keel album was The Final Frontier, yeah. 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 So I came in, and uh, the thing about the Right to Rock, I me and Steve are friends, it's cool. He actually recorded the tracks, and he quit the band before the album was even out. So I came in and auditioned, Got the gig, you know, and then uh, put me on the album cover. Everything it's like, you know, that's a whole weird thing. But yeah, it wasn't me. It wasn't me on drums. Final Frontier was me. You can tell the difference too. I think it sounds. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. How did you find out about the opening, or how did they find you? How did it all come together that you got in the band? Well, when I was about eighteen, living in Phoenix, I knew uh, I knew Greg Chason. Yep, okay. bass player from Badlands, and he was in. He was actually in Steeler for a while, actually back then, and uh, I knew him. And I actually auditioned for Steeler when I was about 18, but I was a scared little kid, and mm-hmm. I just saw him the night before, and I was like, oh, my God, and it kind of blew the audition. 
Ron kept my number. I didn't get the gig. It's a good thing because they broke up like six months later. <laughs> um, then they got Keel back together and they were going through the whole thing with all these guys. And when Steven quit, Ron said, you know what? I'm going to call Dwayne. So I was living in Phoenix. I, I jumped in a U-Haul with my drums and drove out to California and auditioned. And I told my mom, I'm going to audition for a band. She's like, okay, have a good weekend. I'll see you on Monday. And I, <laughs> I didn't come home for 10 years. <laughs> oh, my God. Isn't that crazy? Well, I got the gig, of course. I came home, of course. But, yeah, um, it was kind of a cool experience because Ron kept my number. I guess that was something. Yeah. It's funny how it works. You know, I mean, uh, Riley got an opportunity to join Wasp, and then that left you uh, an opening for you. It's, it's, I guess it's all fate. Who would you guys tour with yeah. um, in 85? And our first tour, our first, like, real tour was – if I recall correctly, Loudness. We went out with Loudness. Oh, sweet. Toured with those guys. That was a cool year because we got this, you know, nice little tour, three or four months. And then Accept, the same year. Wow. Uh, we toured with Accept. That was a big time every single day. In fact, I think we did two shows. We did 15 shows in 14 days. I wrote that down. We did 15 shows in 14 days. <laughs> wow. And they sounded perfect every night. Just like, how do these guys do that, man? You know, it's like they're a bunch of engineers, man. It was amazing. That was a great experience. You guys gotta check out the band Platinum Overdose. It's new hair metal with the classic 80s sound. Their new album, Back for the Thrill, made Sleaze Rock's top 10 albums of 2020. And it's just killer. Go to ddrmusicgroup.com or platinumoverdose.com and check it out. Hey guys, this podcast takes a lot of time and effort. I want to do more in-depth projects on here, but I can't do it without your help. Just Google 80s Glam Metal Cast on Anchor. Once there, hit the support button and you can donate 99 cents, $4.99, or $9.99 a month. Your support will ensure that this podcast will be rocking out for years to come. How about Final Frontier? Who are some of the bands you guys toured with on that one? Final Frontier, we did a bunch of stuff. That's when we went to um, to Europe with Dio. We did Dio like a few months in Europe, all across all the arenas, which was really a cool experience too. Um, and then we came back to the States, Did uh, we did a tour with Crocus. I know that sounds weird, but we toured with Crocus too. Uh, and then, no, I like Crocus, they rock. <laughs> and then um, what else did we do? We did uh, Japan. It was all the international stuff. We did Japan. Mm-hmm. Tour to Japan. Headline. You don't really open it for anybody in Japan. You just headline. So we did like, uh, you know, two or three weeks in Japan. That's it. That's all you can do over there. And then a bunch of just individual shows across the country, you know. Yeah, they're pretty the rabid. Uh, they're pretty rabid metal fans over there. They always have been. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, and somebody told us ahead of time, said, be careful. I mean, not, not a big deal, but they just sit there when you're playing. And they watch like it's a, like it's a class, like uh-huh. a lecture at the college. And then when you get done with the song, they stand up and cheer and scream. It's crazy, crazy. And then you play and they sit down. And <laughs> they will listen. It's like they're studying, you know? Not like, well, where, are you in New York? You're in New York, right? I'm in New York, yeah. You've been to Lemoore's East? No, I never have. No, I'm in upstate. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah, I'm in upstate. We played there a bunch of times. We played there with Anvil. Anvil opened for us there. But we actually played there a couple times too. Um, but that is the ultimate club where you're like the entire audience is all guitar players and drummers and singers and stuff and they're all <laughs> all sitting there with their arms crossed going, yeah right. come on impress me so that's kind of a tough place to play but still great memories you know i met iron maiden there they came to see us oh wow no pressure iron yeah, Maiden's right? watching <laughs> <laughs> a lot of fun 
very cool. What um, about now with Dio? Were you a Dio fan? So was that pretty wild uh, being on tour with him? Yeah. Oh my God. You know what? I was um, before Keel, before I went to LA and all that stuff. I was actually in a band. They they always tried to make me the singer, and because uh, if someone found out I could sing too, so I was in a band drumming and singing, and I was trying to learn how to do Neon Nights. And uh, the, our guitar player's wife was a singer and teacher. She was giving me vocal lessons. She's like, okay, go home and study uh, Rainbow Rising and the Black Sabbath album with Dio and all this stuff. So I would sing with Dio every single day. I'd be like practicing Dio, you know. And probably like, it must have been like only two or three years later we were opening for him. I was standing at the side of the stage every night watching those guys, you know. Isn't that crazy? Watching, can you imagine first studying the albums and, and then watching Dio every night? That is wild. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. It's like I wasn't even, I was watching Vinny a lot, the drummer, you know, Vinny obviously cool oh, yeah. guy too. I was watching him a lot, but I was watching Ronnie just as much, man, because I was like studying Wolf guys at the same time, you know. Yeah. That's a lot of talent between the pretty two fun. of them right there. A lot of talent. Yeah, man. Yeah. It was just fun. Fun, good times, you know. We just got to hang out. And Jimmy Bain, the bass player, notar- notorious partier, but very cool guy. Very cool guy. Everybody was just cool, you know. Yeah, definitely. You expect man. to have. You hear, you know, about people being jerks or having a bad experience, but that was just all fun. I mean, not that we were goofing off all the time, but it was just a good experience, you know. I had a, I had an embarrassing experience. I, you know, when you're on the road, you got to do laundry once in a while, right? So I got all my dirty clothes with me. I had like a garbage bag. and I don't even know what, it was like Denmark or something like that. I'm walking down the street trying to find a laundromat with a big old garbage bag behind my back. <laughs> <laughs> laundry. And I hear this. Dwayne, I'm like, what? Who said that? Dwayne, I look over and it's Ronnie James freaking Dio going, Dwayne, what are you doing? They're eating lunch. Him and his bodyguard were eating lunch. I'm like, oh, this is embarrassing. Walking down the street, looking like a homeless guy with a garbage, <laughs> garbage bag. <laughs> Ronnie James Dio going, hey, what are you doing? Oh, what can you say? I'm doing laundry, Ronnie. <laughs> that was kind of un- kind of weird, but still fun. Good times, you know. Oh, definitely. <laughs> So when you get to the 1987 Keel album, I mean, I think that's got to be my favorite one. Uh, what are your thoughts on that one, looking back at it? The Keel album, the one Michael Wagner did? Yeah. yeah. That was really cool, too, man. The whole recording experience. Of course, we did pre-production for a long time, mm-hmm. about a month, getting the songs ready and everything. Michael was awesome. He was always funny. Um, he actually was one of the guys, one of the original guys in Accept also. So I was, of course, a fan of mm-hmm. his anyway. Yeah. But different recording techniques. Actually, um, he had like about 40 mics on the drums. But when we were doing the drum tracks, I was in a big warehouse, and he had a camera on me, a video camera, running into the control room where Kenny, our bass player, was playing bass. So he was watching me play for timing and cues and all that stuff. And we were recording at the same time. But yeah, everything was on tape back then, too. It was like all tape, you know, whatever tape, you know. Just had a lot of fun, man. The sounds, the sounds, and then the vocals, too. Well, you said you've... You're familiar with the album, right? Oh, huge, yeah. <laughs> huge vocals. Every, every song, listen to the background vocals. Every song sounds like like a um, Bohemian Rhapsody, man. It's like every song has 50 <laughs> freaking vocal harmonies on it. And we did that. We actually did. Every guy did every part. The low part, and then the next part, and then the next part, and the next part. All that. And we tripled and quadrupled eight times each. There's like 64 voices on every chorus, which seems kind of like overkill. But it sounds really good. When I listen to it, I'm like, dang. It does you sound know what good. I mean? Yeah, it sounds great. I mean, United Nations just—that's where it's probably it's its biggest. It's just huge. The backgrounds yeah. on that one, you know. The voices, yeah, I was all over that man. All the high part, 
Um, they discovered I do the high parts, the Michael Anthony parts. So don't let anyone ever. Are you a drummer? Are you? A, no, I used to play uh, uh, more of a bass guy. Played bass. Don't let anyone ever find out you can sing because because <laughs> <laughs> you'll be singing on everything. Well, there's a story about that too. I was we were, I got the keel gig without singing. That's fine. We were, we were rehearsing one night and we were doing a, I don't know what song it was a ballad probably symptom or I don't know what song, but. I'm harmonizing just out of nature, you know. I'm harmonizing with Ron, and then he—I well, didn't have a mic or anything—and he stops and goes, he goes, everybody stop. He goes, who the fuck was just singing harmony? I'm like all scared. I'm like 20 years old. I'm like, yeah. I was. It was me. He goes, you're singing from now on, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> and I always saw you always had the uh, the mic uh, hooked to your, it's you know, the the headset. Yeah, yeah, I got those after I went through. They're better and they're not. As good. I like to use a real mic, but mm-hmm. yeah, I went through a ton of headsets. Um, you know, very cool. It's like uh, the thing I don't like about headsets is they're always right there in your face, and you can hear every breath. Oh, you ever right. go to a concert like Def Leppard or ZZ Top? Both those guys wear headsets. You hear this? <laughs> <laughs> Darth like, Vader. I know what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's the drummer's headset. He's breathing between chords. So, um, but aside from that, it's good having a mic, and you're not leaning over to sing into a mic like that. So, yeah. Yeah. So even now, when we do keel songs, keel uh, shows, like on the cruises or whatever, right? I got to sing the high stuff. I don't mind. I don't mind singing the high stuff. You know. Yeah, definitely. I rather just play drums, but uh, yeah. I don't mind singing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think for all of us fans, I mean, we're, I, I know I, me, a lot of people I talk with online, they always kind of scratch their heads at that 1987 album, you know, didn't get bigger. It probably, you probably needed to have another video. You know how, like, basically the trajectory of most bands, right? You had your fast song, so somebody's waiting, and then you needed your power ballad, you know? And that was the thing. It's like you guys just had the one video, but then there was no power ballad, a calm before the storm. You know, all those other songs would have been, I think, I think you could have had a hit with that album. Yeah, we could have. That was actually it. That was like the big, big push, that album, you know, and they're like, that year, is that the year we did Bon Jovi? I think, I think yeah. That's the year we yep. did Bon Jovi. I'm not really sure. I'm pretty sure. Big tours, big shows, and then right around then, stuff started, you know, the music industry changed a lot. I don't know timing of it, but, you know, rock and roll just kind of like done, hard rock, heavy, what's it called? Hair metal? Hair metal. <laughs> <laughs> Hair metal just kind of like reached its end and then kind of died off, I guess. I mean, because pretty soon we were like, all right, looking for another label. You know, and then kind of starting over and whatever. Yeah, there and, you go. It kind of ended. And I love uh, the the one era of Keel that kind of gets forgotten is like 1989 with Larger Than Live, because um, pretty much that came out, and then you guys pretty much broke up after that. But I love that album. I think the I think the live stuff is great. I think the studio mm-hmm. stuff is great. And I would say, like with with your drumming, I, I feel like your drumming on the albums that you're on before that, you know, it's perfect. You don't overplay or anything. It's perfect for the music, but I feel like you let loose a little bit more on, on uh, the, like the new studio tracks. Did you notice that more? It seems like there's a little bit more <clears throat> stuff going on. I think so. I was probably trying to expand. I was like, you know what? I don't want to play as safe as I did before, you know, because I always did that. Playing really safe in the studio, which you can't go wrong, just playing boom, bam, boom, boom, bam. But I wanted to do more in the studio because here's why. Because we would play live and I would get bored and play like a riff that wasn't in the studio and all the guys in the band would turn around and look at me and go what you can't do that on the record (laughs) but i like to go off i like to improvise and i never did that very much until towards the end you know (laughs) (laughs) and the guys started getting used to it you know you couldn't you know they would freak people out if you did some weird stuff because i'm like an old school like a a rush freak deep purple freak all this stuff i could do some progressive stuff this and that kenny might not have been as 
progressive, just more straight ahead. So if I did something weird, you know, he'd kind of go off the tracks a little bit. So, but you know, whatever. I think I wanted to expand. No, we kind of kind of did expand, but you know, and it, it was it was towards the end. And actually, uh, on that album, um, that's when Brian had quit. Actually, both guitar players were gone. Mark and Brian were both gone. Right. We got Tony Pelmucci on guitar, and then Scott Warren on keyboards. We just replaced him. We had like a Deep Purple lineup. Yeah. And even Kenny quit. After before after it was done, you know, so we're like looking for a bass player. That's why we just broke up because there's like one original member and it was Ron. Right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even I wasn't original. We, you know, everyone knows I wasn't in the first on the first album, but I was kind of an original member. Yeah. But we decided just to call it. You know, and it's, it's a good time to walk away sometimes. You know. Yeah. I don't mind. Yeah, like I said, with that era too. You know, I mean, there was. There's, I think there's a video for Dreams Are Not Enough, but it really, it never was on MTV. You know, you see it on YouTube. You can't find a lot of photos of this lineup. So like I said, you had this brief lineup change, and then by like, I don't know, you must have broke up that same year, but when, like you said, once everybody started quitting. And, and uh, it's too bad because, like I said, I think a great album, and uh, I would have liked to have seen what would have been the next album, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then like, you know, Ron had other plans too. He was like in, in secret writing country songs. Right. I don't care. That's fine. Everyone's like, is Brian going country? I don't, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm support him, you know? And then he did that thing with Fair Game with the girls and all that. Yeah, that was cool. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, do, do what you got to do. I, I don't, you don't owe me anything, you know? So, right. <laughs> um, I was just supportive. What'd you do and after Kill? Were you, yeah, were you bummed out? What'd you, what did yeah. you do after? No, I actually joined a band for a short time, rehearsed a lot with them. They're called Outlaw Blood with uh, Marty Fredrickson. Guitar player, he actually uh, produced, he produced, his name, he produced Aerosmith, mm -hmm. he's produced uh, a bunch of bands, he's big, big guy, producer. Um, I was just rehearsing with those guys for a long time, uh, they had a production deal, never really kind of went anywhere, you know, fizzled out, Yeah. I, I kind of left that, and then I joined a band called Rocks Diamond, which we did a couple albums, you heard of Rocks Diamond? It's like a AOR kind of thing. Okay. You can no. look it up. There's albums everywhere. I'll have to check it out. Uh, ROX and then Diamond. When I first jammed with them, first I thought it was Steve Walsh on vocals from Kansas. Okay. Um, I heard the, I heard their album. Their album was done too. I'm like, damn, Alan Isaac's our producer on the last Keel album. He goes, Dwayne, you got to hear this band. Okay. He goes, they're looking for a drummer. And I said, well, I got one question. Is that Steve Walsh <laughs> <laughs> from Kansas? He goes, no, but he gets that a lot. So Paul Daniels is things just like Steve Walsh. And I, I said, you know what? I'll take the gig. And we jammed and rehearsed and actually I, I put a couple of drum tracks on their album. We went to Japan and did a concert, a live show for the record company, Funhouse Production, Funhouse Records. And they they taped it and made a laser disc. Remember the laser discs? Yeah. You ever hear about those? Oh yeah, yep. <laughs> so we've got this Rock's Diamond live in Japan uh, laser disc out there. You can probably find it on YouTube, you know, Rock's Diamond. <clears throat> and uh, that's, after that, you know, we kind of like that fizzled out too, man. Everything just fizzled out because everything was becoming grunge then, and yeah. I didn't really want to do grunge, so I was just jamming and playing with people around LA. And my wife and I decided to move back to Phoenix, where we're from, where our families are. And we just came back and bought a house and started growth, started a family. And <laughs> I I tried to quit playing too for about five months, but it became so crazy because I have to play. You said you're a bass player, right? Yeah. Have you been playing like for? Most of your life, like 12, 13, 20, yeah, 20 years. Yeah, I started playing when I was 12. Yep, definitely. Okay. So me, after putting most of my life into it, I just tried to quit. And it's like, no, something's off kilter, man. You know, like, 
it's like if you go to medical school, you know, for 12 years or whatever, and then you decide to become a plumber. It's like, no, it's just not right. You got to do what you learned. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so my wife told me, she goes, you've got to get in a band again. you got to start playing. I'm like, you know what? You're right. I do. So I started playing in a cover band. Ironically, <clears throat> I sound like a name dropper, but I got a call from Greg Chason again. He was out of Badlands, and he moved back to Phoenix, too. He goes, hey, I'm putting a cover band together here in Phoenix. I'm going to use Robert Mason on vocals. I'm like, no, you aren't. No, you're not. He goes, yeah, yeah, we're friends. So I'm like, okay, let's let's jam. So me, Greg, Robert Mason, and a guitar player named Bob Turner here in town started a cover band. We're playing covers for a couple of years. Isn't that crazy? We're called The Relics. Wow. So that's pretty cool. Pretty cool bar band in Phoenix. You know, me, Greg, Robert. Yeah. And guitar player. Cool thing about that was that we all sang, and there was like four part harmonies everywhere. It was a lot of fun. We had had a lot of good times, you know. Oh, that's awesome. And, uh, that moved on to another band called Dr. Ruth, which was also classic rock, Six, Kansas Journey, Rush, that kind of stuff, which mm-hmm. is really challenging, but kept my chops up, right? Yeah, yeah, and, definitely. Yeah, Greg's a cool guy. Yeah. I, I've talked to Greg before, and uh, uh, his, that Kings of Dust album they did was awesome. So, yeah, I, I, Greg's a very cool man, very cool. Yeah, we go back, way back. Be, skipping back, I had a back time after I auditioned for Steeler and didn't get the gig. <clears throat> um, when they broke up, Greg moved back to... Well, he still lived in L.A. We started a band called Hard Times. Okay. Me and Greg. So we go back, and that was probably like 1983 or something like that, or 84 maybe, something like that. And we had a lot of originals, nice, killer originals. And one of the demos we did wound up with Mike Varney. I'm just tossing names out. You know Mike Varney, right? He was from Shrapnel yeah, Records. Shrapnel, yep. Mike Varney, we had this real fast double bass song. It was called Rough Customer. She's a rough. Anyway. When I met, I know I'm jumping around, and I apologize. No, you're fine. I met Paul Gilbert, <laughs> Paul Gilbert from Racer X. I met him at the NAMM show. And Paul Gilbert comes up to me and starts singing, She's a rough, rough customer. I'm like, where the hell did you hear that song? He goes, Mike Varney showed it to me. That's you on drums, man. That's killer. He goes, I wanted to get you in Racer X, but you already joined Keel. I'm like, <laughs> oh, wow. That's wild. <laughs> so when, when I met Paul Gilbert, he goes, I wanted to get you in Racer X. I'm like, wow. That's a compliment. Thank you very much, man. So, well, that would have been annoying. awesome. That would have been super cool, huh? Yeah, totally. It was at the NAMM show. A lot of good a lot of good times. Anyway, so I jumped back and forth like that. Again, I apologize. <laughs> no, no problem. That's how that's how my brain back works, to too. <laughs> you know, it's a funny thing yeah, you said. Right. You made me think about something. When you said about like when, when Ron was kind of veering off into the, cr- the country scene, I remember... It was probably in the like later '90s, right? And it was like a, a VH1. Where are they now? You know, uh, '80s metal. And and Ron is, you know, he's talking about he's gave up the rock and roll life and he's got a pickup truck and a campfire. And I remember it was kind of shocking because if you're a fan, like I was a big, I, I still am, I'm a big Keel fan, and I hadn't heard anything about Ron and you know. I don't know, nine, seven, I don't know how many years it was. And then when I saw that, I was like, wow. Like, I, I got to admit, I was kind of shocked. Yeah, I think he was probably trying to shock people. About five years ago, I walked away from all that. Traded in the beach houses and the sports cars. For this old pickup truck, this flat top guitar, a campfire, and a few country songs. Now I'm back where I belong. Western country. No way. He's a he's got a country background, no problem. But he's like, if I'm gonna do this, I gotta do it big. So I'm All gonna in. shock people. Yeah. But you know what I mean? I'm not. We kind of tease about it a little bit. I'm like, dude, I like your new accent. You know. 
<laughs> I know it was, it was kind of playing the part, you know, which is good. Yeah. It got people talking, didn't it? It did. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> and uh, what's cool is, is like where he is today, like when he does like Metal Cowboy, you know, he, he merges the two schools together and it really works, man. It really yeah. is him. So, I, you know, more power to him. Yeah, exactly. I got no problem with it at all. He's right in the middle, you know, and he's got a lot of fans too. And so I'm attached to him. So I got some fans too because of it. So, right? I mean, where do I. How can I get mad at that? All right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody's accusing me of being mad, but I, I, I support all my buddies. You know, me and Brian Jay are still working together. You know? Nice. Now, do you think there'll ever be a, you think there'll ever be another Keel album, or do you think you guys are just more or less just doing going to do the cruises and the festivals and that kind of stuff? I don't know. You never can tell. I mean, Ron is doing a lot of. He's really working hard with his band, the Ron Keel band. Yep. And they're like touring and they're recording. That's where all of all his interest is. Which is fine. We'll still do we'll do cruises. I don't know if we'll do an album again. We might. Mm-hmm. You never know. We might. In the meantime, Brian and I are working on new stuff. Brian J and I. Okay. He's got a singer he's riding with, and I've got a, a famous bass player that I can't tell you about yet. Okay. But, <laughs> <laughs> but we're, we're recording kind of over the. I live in Phoenix. You know, he lives in L.A., but he'll send me stuff, and I record it. And we're kind of doing the cross state thing right now, which is kind of cool. But we have to get in the same room and, and do that. But yeah, we got some possible stuff coming out pretty soon. And uh, yeah, we want to do more cruises too. I mean, you know, I haven't given up. You know, I'm just going to keep on playing. Yeah. All the time. Whatever happens, happens. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And uh, you know, like I said, because I thought uh, Streets of Rock and Roll was a great album. I know now that's almost ten. I think it is ten years ago. So it's crazy how fast time yeah, goes. I can't believe that. That's probably my favorite Keel album, as far as everybody's playing and right. the sound of it and the songs. It's like a different band. Yeah, almost. it's I mean, almost it's, like the classic yeah, classic rock. I feel like you guys are bringing your classic rock uh, vibes into the you know kind of morphing the '80s sound with like the '70s almost. Do you, is that what you think too? Or yeah, I was thinking like if you compare the the Right to Rock album with the Streets of Rock and Roll, it's like the same band, just a couple notches up, you know? Yeah. Everyone's better somehow, and it sounds better, the production's better, and it's like, everyone's good. It's like, it's not like trying to relive the past either. It's like everyone's now, we're yeah. on our now thing, you know? That's all I, you know what I mean? It's kind of weird. No, no, I don't, totally know. Yeah, I like it. Like I said, it's just, it does. It has a different vibe, but it, it works, you know what I mean? It's it's kind of like a natural progression instead of trying to force yourself to sound like an 80s band or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, no. and even at that, that was 10 years ago, like you said. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'd love to see what you can do today. <laughs> it was, yeah. Yeah, 10 years ago. So, Well, hey, man, it's been awesome talking with you about all this stuff. Thanks for sharing all this Keel information and, and what you're doing today. What do you want to tell everybody who's been following you all these years? Everybody, just keep on rocking, man. You know, keep the faith, man. Keep the faith. I'm, <laughs> I'm practicing more than ever now. I don't know what the deal is. I'm, a fire is under me somehow, and I don't know what the deal is, but just do what you love. I think that, that makes me happy. Playing drums makes me happy. Yeah, so, that's awesome. I don't know if you can, I'm going to use that for a soundbite or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dwayne, dude, thanks so much, man. No problem. Thanks for calling, man. I appreciate that. Take care. Well, that was great catching up with Dwayne. I literally have tons of stuff in the hopper. Interviews with members of Armored Saint, Brittany Fox, and more are on the way. So hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Rock on!